Hello guys, David Vos here. Well, it's a beautiful day here in Alabama. And I hope you're having a beautiful day there where you are. Guys, I want to talk to you today um, about, well, who knows? But we got to talk because it seems like there's a lot of peculiarities a lot of odd things that nobody seems to have answers for. And we just seem to like accept any answer they give us. It's a very peculiar thing if you really think about it. And I don't think people even really realize that this is happening to the extent that it is. But let me give you an example. In the Bible, it says that Jesus... It gives the whole story of his crucifixion. And we've got so many stories and nobody seems to know anything. Some say he was on a cross. Some say it was a stake. If that isn't enough. I mean, you'd think that we, if we have history books and we know quite a bit about Rome, I mean, especially you would think we'd know how they executed people, whether or not they had a cross beam. Well, they did. But there are individuals like Jehovah's Witnesses or, or whatever that, that said, you know, they don't like crosses because it's pagan. So somehow because they don't like crosses, they'll go back into history and they'll find some little bit of evidence that proves that Jesus wasn't executed on a cross. Well, somewhere in the Old Testament says he was executed on a tree. Wait a minute. Trees don't have cross beams, right? It's just, it's just a pole. Tree must mean pole. Well, there you go. Conclusive. But you see, if you combined your little argument there, which is not an argument at all, it doesn't have any proof. It's simply conjecture and you're making up a story based on some word and what you think it must mean. I mean, because if Jesus was murdered on a pole or it was a cross either one it would still you could still call it a tree because neither a pole nor a cross is a tree in english in english a tree is a, a living thing right if it's a dead tree and it's got no limbs on it then maybe we'd call it a pole but it's not called a pole in the bible it's called a couple of one i think one or two places called a tree well, it was a tree. It was wood. But the shape of it, it doesn't really say. But we do know that they nailed his hands and his feet. And regardless of whether it was a cross or not, we do know that Jesus suffered greatly. But we go further in the story and it tells us that Jesus was definitely in Judea because he was trying to find a place to... Uh, the disciples wanted to know where they were going to keep the Last Supper. And the scribes were arguing with him and and they were, you know, Jesus was being brought before the Sanhedrin, which is in Jerusalem. So, Jesus was being accused by the Pharisees, by the Law of Moses. Now, this is not just something it says in Luke and Matthew and Mark, but it's the whole theme there that the law of Moses condemns us all. That's the reason Jesus died to pay for our sins and there wouldn't be any sin without law, the Apostle Paul says. So Jesus then was condemned as all of us are condemned. Not because some judge decided to execute Jesus because he didn't like him. They had to go by the law. And the law, no matter where you were in the world, was based on the same principles, was handed down through Moses. And the Judeans, the royal bloodlines, they went into all the earth. Remember, Rome, Greece, was of the tribes of Israel. So, Annius, Romulus that started Rome, they traced their lineage back to 
guy named Danos, who was the son of Zerah, the son of Judah. So, they had the same beliefs as Israel. This was the world who that put forth these teachings. They weren't just willy-nilly, but the entire world understands what law is and that law comes from the lawgiver. So when the Apostle Paul was up in Corinth, he said, our fathers. Now, some people would say, oh, he says our fathers because he's acknowledging that there are some of the diaspora there. He's only talking to Judeans who were taken captive somewhere in the world and they ended up fleeing, going to Greece or something in Corinth. But but he's not just talking to four or five people that were of the diaspora. He's talking to, to these Corinthians. Are we going to assume that all the Corinthians were Judeans? That's not true because he literally says in Romans and Galatians and there in Corinthia that all of us are under the law. That we're all guilty. Why? Because we were all baptized. All of us into Moses. We all got baptism. We all went through the rituals. We all were under this Red Sea with Moses. We all got baptized into the sea. And we were all uh, children of Abraham. So, if you read Romans and Corinthians and stuff and these all his epistles, you'll see very clearly that Paul makes the, the claim that all men are under law because all have sinned against this deity, Yahweh, who gave us a law. We were married to him in this symbolic wedding. And we all said, this we will do. I do. Will you do this? I do. That's what we do at weddings. And so we made this bond paper, this certificate, this license which is a marriage bond servant certificate. And we signed at the bottom line. We said, we will do. And we all were guilty then because now we agreed to the punishment. See, if you're not under the law, there's no punishment. But if you're under the law, there is a punishment. So people who say, well, we're not under the law. We just don't get punished anymore. We have grace. You can't have grace. Grace was never a part of the law of Moses. If we're under grace, we're not under the law because there is no grace in law. You don't go to the court and go down to the judge and say, listen, I know I broke the law, but can I have grace? It doesn't exist. I mean, there may be a certain leniency, but only in line with what the law would allow. So if the law says this crime deserves the punishment of five years in prison or up to 10 years, then the only mercy or grace you can receive is that he'll give you the lesser sentence of five years. Or if he could determine that you didn't actually do the crime or something. But if you're convicted of doing the crime and the crime says you must take at least five years in prison, then the judge has to give you five years in prison. There is no grace in law. And so, under the Judaic law, there were certain crimes that were punishable by death. There was one crime of blasphemy that you were, if you were accursed, okay? Cursed is everyone that is hanged upon a tree. So, if you got that punishment of being hung on a tree, you were a blasphemous, cursed individual. And that's why they gave Jesus that uh, punishment of being crucified because he said he made himself like God. Now, that's not something that was against the law under the Roman rule. And remember, it wasn't the Judeans that convicted and had a trial that led to death. Well, first of all, you would, in a court of law, you have to have three witnesses. You have to have certain things to convict. So, in the Sanhedrin, they were trying to convict Jesus. And they were looking for 
something to accuse him. And they would bring, they, it says they brought many different accusers, but nobody could prove he had done anything wrong. Then finally somebody came along, it says, and said, we heard him say, tear this temple down and in three days I'll build it up. So he's violent and he's talking about some sort of insurrection or, you know, taking over the, the, the gulp. Well, see, Jesus wasn't actually threatening insurrection. He, he was asked if that's what he was doing. He asked, Pilate asked him, are you saying you're a king? Are you going to rule? Because that would be in maybe an insurrection or, you know, it, it would, it would threaten the, the, the authority of Rome and then maybe we'll have to crucify you. Because that's what they were trying to tell Pilate. Because they, they had convicted him, but since they were not autonomous, they had to run everything by Rome. So they said, oh, look, we don't like him. We found something against him. He's, you know, they couldn't really go and tell Titus or I should say Pilate, oh yeah, well, he's a blasphemer and, you know, he didn't keep these little rituals that we Jews do or something, you know, or he said that the Sabbath isn't good or whatever because Rome didn't keep the Sabbath anyway. So these are little things that would just be um, a local dispute. And... So in order to have this man convicted, I mean, the Judeans could have convicted him on many different various things. And in their own law, they convicted him for blasphemy because it was when he said he was like God that they picked up stones to kill him. And it says from that moment on, they decided they were going to execute him and, and crucify him. But they couldn't just do it on their own. They had to get the authority of Rome. So with Rome, they had to make up a story. They had to say, well, he's he's threatening to bring down the kingdom. Says he's king. So Pilate said, are you king? And Jesus said, well, my kingdom's no part of this world. He said, you've said I'm a king, and I indeed for this I came into the world. I am the king. Jesus never lied or, or got scared or anything. No, he admitted it. But he also told the actual truth by saying that, yeah, I'm the king of the real world. But this little Judean kingdom, this southern kingdom, the the carnal flesh and these carnal commandments, I'm not the king of that. The devil's the king of that. So, when the Sanhedrin handed Jesus over to Pilate, most Christians then assume that Pilate somehow, right there in Jerusalem, convicted Jesus and then washed his hands and then they got a cross going over there somewhere outside of the walls of Jerusalem, maybe by Gehenna, or the Valley of Hinnom, and they crucified Jesus. But when you read the story, it never says really where Jesus was crucified, except that it does. It uses a word. It says that they crucified him on a hill, and there's two different places Originally, I think the Latin used Calvary because somehow that meant a skull or a head. In the text, it was the place of a skull. And in one verse, it uses this word hill, a hill of a skull, the skull of, on a hill. And so that's where they translate the hill of Golgotha. Golgotha is also another word in Greek, that means a skull. So if you were to translate it, you might translate it the hill of the skull. Now, usually if you're going to have a name like that, it's a descriptive place, then it has to be well known. Everybody must know what it means. I mean, I wouldn't say, oh, I'll do this and that over on the Candy Mountain. Well, now, the Candy Mountain, you, you'd have to know where that is before you could it would make any sense to you. And then you'd have to know why it was called the Candy Mountain. Well, maybe there was a man who sold candy on that mountain, right? Then everybody knows what you're talking about. But you wouldn't just say, oh yeah, uh, the place of a skull. It just happens to be that, the, that maybe that day somebody found a skull laying on the ground. They said, well, that's the place of the skull. But left all those details out. They just said, oh, it's the place of a skull. See, it was very, very unlikely 
that where Jesus was crucified, this place of a skull, is something that we wouldn't know what it was or where it was. So if you look it up, they'll say, well, we don't know in the area there in Jerusalem area, anywhere in that Palestine area, we don't know a place called the place of a skull. We just don't know of that. There's no, you know, yeah, many church fathers may have said, oh yeah, Jesus was killed at Golgotha. So they, oh, there it was. It must be a place. But they didn't say where. Now, maybe a lot of people had thought that he was crucified in Jerusalem, but the Bible doesn't say he was crucified in Jerusalem. In fact, he couldn't have been crucified in Jerusalem because the law said that you have to crucify him outside of the gate. You couldn't kill somebody inside the gates of the temple. It had to be outside of the city. Somewhere, in fact, there's even a song, something about far, far away on a on a hill of Calvary, right? What's far, far away? What does that mean? That's one of these ancient uh, gospel songs. So there are some legends that this place was far away. <clears throat> so in, in the book of, I think, Hebrews, it talks about the, our Lord was crucified outside the gate. It was a humiliation, you know. It was a, it was a, uh, a humiliating, terrible criminal death. It was accursed. So he couldn't have been literally crucified next to the walls of Jerusalem because they wouldn't have allowed that. So somewhere we don't know where. If you look it up, you're not going to find anybody talking about a place of a skull in Jerusalem. Now, in modern times, we talk about the place of the skull that Jesus was crucified, but we only know it by the fact that it's mentioned there in the New Testament. We don't know where it is. Everybody disagrees. People come up with conclusions based on what they believe or think or they want to believe. Like Jehovah's Witnesses did with this cross thing. They don't believe in crosses because they don't know that we are pagans. We are the nations. That Christianity is not Judean in nature. We're not of that covenant. And they don't understand that these ancient esoteric teachings uh, are in all of the ancient nations and in astrology. And they don't, Jehovah's Witnesses don't know that the soul is immortal, that there's a divine trinity, that Jesus was born of a virgin, you know, that he was God of very divine, that he was a divine being in whom all the pleroma of the divinity dwelleth. So, because they don't know all of these things, they want to make something up to fit. So, the world, you see, part of the reason probably why the Bible didn't explain exactly where this hill of Golgotha was, is because if they told you it was in Rome, then Rome would probably not have allowed the Bible to get down to us. They would have burned it. Like They can't have that. That's uh, derogatory towards Rome. And so the Bible, you know, Rome's been here for a couple thousand years. We're still being Rome, ruled over by the Vatican, by the by these teachings, by, these, by this idolatry of this, you know, anthropomorphic bearded man floating in yonder heavens and he's telling us what to do and he knows when you're naughty and nice and all of this. And temples. and I mean, that's why we, in, in Washington we've got a Capitol building. I think it was uh, Thomas Jefferson that said we should call it the Capitol. Now, do you think he just came up with that out of nowhere? No, this place called the Capitol. And by the way, what does Capitol mean? Like, it comes from the where we get the word decapitation. There's a place right near where Pilate's governor his governor's palace was in Caesarea. It's on the coast, north of Tyre, or north of Jaffa. But it's on the coast, so you can get in a boat from there and go to Italy, go to Rome, right? Just cross the Mediterranean. But right, just a few miles from there is a place called Decapolis. Decapitation. That's where they did all these decapitations. So, Capital means to be, well, and we have this, another phrase where we say it's capital punishment. 
And I think most of us think it means it's, it's, it's an offense against the capital, like against the, the state or something. And it has come to mean that, but it, it really means to be executed. Capital punishment means to be executed by decapitation. Now today, in our language in the United States, we may say, yeah, we have capital punishment, or we don't, we do, whatever. I mean, it changes from day to day. I mean, I think the United States just decided to go ahead and start doing that again. Probably because they're going to start literally decapitating. Remember, the Bible talks about the, the, the ones during the tribulation that are beheaded. Well, that's decapitation. So it's a very important word, but we're not being told about this. So, where in Jerusalem were people being decapitated? There's no place that is famous, and there's no particular hill that's famous. Remember, even here in Washington, we call it Capitol Hill, because it was a specific hill, the hill of Golgotha, or the hill of the Kappa, Kaput, is the skull. So, the only place that's known, it's famous, that everybody knows, the hill, the Capitolian Hill, is only one, and it's in, the, it's one of these small hills, there are seven hills that, that Rome sits on, seven hills, the smallest of the hills is the Capitolian Hill, and that's where the Temple of Jupiter they call it uh, Optimum Maximus, Jupiter. The, the grand great, you know, deity of Jupiter. And if you look it up to try and figure out why they called that great hill and the, 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 the father of the deities, which is Zeus or Jupiter in Latin, why they would call it the capital where did it come from? The only story you're going to find is that when they created Rome, you know, like 709 or 750 or whatever what year it was, and they started leveling an area to build this temple. By the way, this capital building is not a government palace. It is a temple. It was the temple of Jupiter, the temple of Zeus. So, so the, the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. is a temple and that's why you've got this water basin where they do the baptismal, it's the old covenant, the rituals of washings and cleansings. And the other end of the water basin, the Washington Monument is there, which is a obelisk in the shape of a human phallus symbol, uh, a male phallus. So... There is the male phallic symbol and then the capital has this dome which is, represents the vulva on the woman. And when the sun shines on the obelisk at a certain time of year, there's a shadow that that makes some sort of union with, with the woman and it's this great marriage. And it would happen, of course, when the sun comes up in the spring or something. But we don't talk about a lot of that. This is a temple. This has to do with some great amazing esoteric wisdom that most Christians think is pagan and they would, oh, it was terrible. It's, it's all lies, you know. And we've got to go and serve Yahweh and all oh, this is pagan and virgin births and all this is wrong. But it's completely mixed up backwards and upside down because Jesus was not fulfilling the law of Moses in the sense that he was going to... Uh, make the law of Moses good and acceptable and put everybody under it more squarely, you know, make us righteous by making us all law keepers. What he did was come to show up and allow willingly his, his body to be, he was given this body as a, as a, as a pure offering it tells you in the old testament that he says a body hast thou prepared for me that's the reason jesus came to die he came to show us the way to the father to show us that the only way out of this world is to let it go and to show us the meaning of this old law nothing there's no purpose for the law except to give death 
Because through death, we have the awakening to life. That which is made alive is not made alive until it first dies, the Apostle Paul says. So, this was all written about because it happened. And it happened because our divine father and our divine mother made this world. We're like little children and we had to go through the learning process. We had to go to school. We have to, once we get through the class, then we graduate. So the Bible talks about robes that we get. And so we've got these idiots running around, these judges that are wearing these robes and sitting in temples thinking that somehow or another they're our judge when that was never the intention. It's like the book of Revelation talks about dragons. It's a symbol. This great monster, it's an illusion. And the temple that Jesus spoke of was our bodies. And so the inner sanctum is in our heart. And the abomination that causes desolation that Daniel spoke of is the law of Moses where they were killing animals in there and taking the blood, this vile blood sacrifice, this guilt, the shame, that's what was the abomination, the shame and the, the, the curse that was placed upon us, was put upon our heart. So Jesus came to suffer the penalty to show us that there is no penalty. That the illusion must just simply go away so that we're no longer under its control. The only way into this carnal world is through birth and that's the gate and this temple has 12 gates. So you enter in through one of the gates, one of the months. You're born in July or June or December or January or May or whatever it is, you're born in that particular house. Each house has a door and all of these things have to do with some greater temple. So Moses gave us this uh, parable, this story that's kind of like mythology. That's why the Apostle Paul says don't get involved in genealogies and the mythologies and 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 uh, these stories that the Judeans tell, because or genealogies, you know, somehow or another. And if you're not of this particular lineage, you can't be saved. You've got to be chosen, and women must be punished, and they can't talk, and all of this slavery and everything that we had to become free of, because the world that is killing us is a world that we agreed to partake of, to come into. So Jesus and the apostles told us that we have to fulfill the law. And Jesus said it cannot be done away. The law cannot be done away because we agreed to it. You're under that vow until it's fulfilled, until you've performed your part of the agreement. The, the problem is the law, the only way to overcome it or to, to, to fulfill it is to die. Because the law says that he who has died has been acquitted from his sin. The only way to be acquitted is to die. So Jesus came to show us that in the literal sense, it sounds very terrible. We have to die and suffer. But what Jesus was telling us is that this schoolmaster, because it's a learning process, we put our hand in the fire, it burns, we pull it out. It's just to warn us about what is painful. It's a, it's a, it's a, a classroom to educate us so that we can become overcomers. So we have to overcome the world. And the way we do that is by rejecting, by not letting us have authority or power over us. So instead of signing the bottom line and saying, I will do all of this, I will marry you. You know, now we're not really married to Yahweh anyway, because that age is past. He abandoned us on the mountains and the high hills and yeah, Yahweh says in the Old Testament, where's the certificate of divorce? So he's trying to say, well, I never divorced you. The problem is, is that Jesus purchased us, meaning he bought, that's what you do when you get married. You purchase a wife. So Abraham purchased a wife for Isaac 
up at Laban's house with camels and mules and incense and frankincense and so forth. There was a price. Jacob paid Laban seven years for racial of labor and seven years of labor for Leah. So you have to purchase a wife. So Jesus paid. So there's a lot of things going on here. Number one, Jesus paid the penalty so that now he's been acquitted. And he shows all of us, we have to take up our cross and follow him. We have to reject it by simply submitting and it can never be done away until heaven and earth passes. Not one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass from the law. But the heavens and the earth will pass. Meaning that when the heavens and the earth pass away, so is the law. When you die, when you get out of this kingdom, you're not under this kingdom anymore and we don't put ourselves back under it. So, we simply, and, and we don't have to sign another contract. The new covenant is not like that. We're not vowing anything. Jesus said don't vow by heaven or upon earth or any other thing. Just let your yes mean yes and your no, no. Our Heavenly Father promises us His word is good. His promise is eternal. He does not lie. He cannot lie. And we should then learn to just let our yes mean yes too. We don't get under vows or or, or sign contracts because our kingdom is a spiritual kingdom and it's based on love and giving and reciprocal agreements. So we just love each other. Now I tell you all this for a very good reason. You probably never heard this before. But you see, everything that's been... That's, Done in the Bible is done for a reason. There's an exact reason for all of it. Every letter, every jot, every tittle has to be fulfilled. One of the things that had to be fulfilled was that the Judeans would be the ones, or the law of Moses would be the one that would condemn Jesus. Roman law did not condemn Jesus. Okay. Now, liken the God Yahweh who made the law to Judaism and liken the deity of Rome to be like Jesus and his heavenly father. Remember, they worshipped Jupiter or Zeus. The Greeks called him Ju Zeus. The Latins called him Jupiter. But it was not Yahweh. And they also had Venus and all these other particular deities, which we have said are the patriarchs. But we won't get into that today. So, Jupiter being the father of all the deities and the one that they worship, the one that the New Testament says we worship. The word Theos is written, I think, over 400 times in the New Testament. And that is the Attic, Greek, Athenian spelling of Zeus. And Jesus used the word Uranus all the time for his heavenly father. Uranus means heavenly father. So, that's the true deity. But, the Judeans had this other deity that condemned Jesus to death. You notice that Pilate did not condemn Jesus. He washed his hands of it. He says, I have no part of this. Rome does not condemn Jesus. So Pilate told them, do you want to let him go? We have a tradition that says you can let somebody go. And they said, no, may his blood be upon us and our children. So the guilt for, for the crucifixion, was to be upon them and their children, which is because of the laws of Moses. Now, it doesn't mean a race of people. It means the the religion of an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. That's responsible for the death of Jesus and everyone else. And the only way that Jesus got out of that situation was by fulfilling it. And through his death, he was, he was acquitted of his sin. All of us will be acquitted because we'll no longer be under the 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 bondage of that law or this world that because it's the law of Moses that that uh, sustains this physical world by these by the demiurge and these archons of power these principalities and powers that the pleroma of evil forces and demons ruled over supremely by the demiurge Yahweh the Aldabaoth. This is the lower realm, the, the realm of form that Genesis chapter 2 explains how Yahweh made Adam in form and the animals in form. 
But in Genesis chapter 1, Elohim made us spiritual light beings. And there was no death. There was no sin, no problems, no temptations, just eternal life. So, understand that it was the Judeans and the law of Moses that condemned Jesus, not Rome. But it was Pontius Pilate that took over because they had jurisdiction. So in the reality, yeah, we're under this law, this physical world. But it doesn't have jurisdiction. Our Heavenly Father has jurisdiction. We can appeal, Paul even did that. He appealed to Rome because he was a citizen. But because Rome had control of the Jerusalem area, they had to make the decision. And Pilate said, we have no law that condemns this man. He is innocent. We're not, Rome does not find anything wrong with this man. So why then did Rome crucify him? Remember, this is a parable. So you can get a better idea of how this parable is what it's trying to explain here by saying, if we're in this physical world, and that's all we're aware of, we're only conscious of the law. And all of your brothers, you know, Jesus' brothers and his family and his relatives were there. And they all believed in this law. Many of them did. And so, by his own family and by the people around him and his, you know, the people of this world that we live in, if they condemn you and they intend to kill you, if you're an outcast, then our Heavenly Father acknowledges this by washing his hands and saying, I don't condemn Jesus. It was like Jesus was not condemned by our Heavenly Father. But he was condemned by the Judeans, by the law of Moses. And just like in this world, we die. All right, but our Heavenly Father doesn't put us to death. When we die, we wake up in the real world. So all the Heavenly Father has to do is allow us to experience the consequences of being in this world. You go into the world and you live in the world and then you die. That's the judgment of this world upon everyone who enters it. And the only thing our Heavenly Father does, He doesn't acknowledge that you were a sinner or that you deserve to die. But He allows, but not without saying, look, I find no sin in this man. He doesn't deserve under the real governing principles that the, the, the people in authority do not condemn you. Okay, but you yourself, by making your own the agreement, you, you know, because Jesus did it willingly. He went willingly to the cross. So all of us have to willingly get out of this world by waking up. So, Death, then, is only a symbol of sleeping. The Bible uses the term, those who are asleep in death. So, what we, what, what's really happening is that the, our Heavenly Father allows us to sleep and close our eyes to this consciousness. And if we have faith, we open our eyes to the Christ consciousness and we're born again from above. Now, many people, when they die in this world, they don't, before they, their physical body dies, they don't awake. They don't awaken to the higher consciousness. So they pay the price of this world over and over again. That's why the, uh, uh, the law of Moses said, or Yahweh said, I will not pardon your sins under the third and the fourth generation. We'll come back, you know, three meaning repetition. And the fourth meaning that this will just continue on cycle after cycle. He will not forgive you of your sins until you decide not to partake of this covenant again. And so that means that before you die, you have to awaken and become conscious of the other covenant, which is love. And so we, through faith, make a new covenant with Christ. And then we no longer are under the old covenant. But it's something we do in our minds and in our hearts. But when Jesus was with the Pharisees, they condemned him. In order to get the final 
okay to get rid of Jesus because they didn't have the authority just like in this world the devil may say you're going to suffer you're going to die you're going to pay some price or whatever but he really isn't the final authority Jesus is the final authority our heavenly father is the final authority and so they will honor your desire either you don't believe in them and you believe in Yahweh and then you go back three or four generations you keep coming back again and again in this cycle of rebirth or you accept and believe in this other covenant and in order to awaken and accept the new covenant or arrangement or system that is eternal and immortal is to go willingly so they gave Jesus over to Pilate now when you're reading there it doesn't tell you how long it took when Pilate got Jesus and where did Pilate take Jesus nobody knows there's no place in there where it tells you much if you're not paying attention but it does say that he took him Pilate took him to his governor's palace he had a palace and that governor's palace was in Caesarea as we've said it's on the coast up by Decapolis and from there you can get on a boat if you're condemned and go right over the sea to Rome because where they the Roman if, if the Romans are going to kill Jesus see the Judeans couldn't do it the crucifixion happened by Roman soldiers remember they parted his garments we don't have anywhere in Matthew Mark Luke or John that says that Jesus was killed in Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 11 I believe it, it actually says Jesus was killed in Sodom and in Egypt well is it Sodom or Egypt well it's obviously a symbol Sodom is a place that is considered sinful they were destroyed because of this sinful nature they were left as a warning example because of the fire and sulfur so it's representing the world Jesus was martyred in the world it's not about some particular city anyway but if Christians and Judeans believe that Jerusalem is the holy city then that's probably not where Jesus was crucified because he was crucified in the world in Sodom in Egypt you know you go down into Egypt you know when you're in Jerusalem you leave Jerusalem you go down to Egypt so obviously that's a symbol but where was Jesus actually crucified it doesn't say he was crucified in Jerusalem all it says is that the disciples were there and the Sanhedrin were debating and they accused him of these crimes and they claimed they would take the blame for it upon them and their children but then they handed it over to Pilate now did Pilate set up a court in Jerusalem there have been some who speculated that that's what he did but we don't have any proof of that the governor's palace Pilate's governor's palace which is where the Bible says Jesus was tried wasn't Jerusalem it was probably in Caesarea north of Joppa that's the Pilate's governor's palace now some have said well he had another place where he stayed when he went to Jerusalem but it doesn't say that Pilate came to them it says that they gave Jesus and handed him over to Pilate now Pilate didn't even know who Jesus was at the time he was asking them questions who are you so do you think Pilate before he even knew that Jesus was the Christ I mean after he died and everything that happened this you know the, the darkened sky and the earthquake and all the stuff and people were being resurrected he probably realized that Jesus was the Messiah at that point but in the beginning Pilate didn't know so what do you think Pilate's going to come down for every guy that they're accusing he didn't just Pilate wasn't just the governor of only Jerusalem he was the governor of all of the land of what we call Palestine all up into Syria and his palace where he governed he was the governor of Judea and Caesarea and Syria and all that area 
So his palace was in Caesarea, north, up by um, Tyre, in that area, by Decapolis. So Jesus had to have more, more than likely been taken there, because that's what it says. And Pilate had a trial, and he found nothing wrong with Jesus. But he more or less gave the people what they wanted. Even Jesus, he offered Jesus an opportunity by saying, listen, just give me anything, Jesus. Tell me you didn't do it. And you'll be free. But Jesus kept his mouth shut. Why? Because Jesus knew that he wanted nothing to do with this kingdom of Judea. And he had to become free and be discharged from the law. He needed to be acquitted. And when Judas betrayed him, he received 30 shekels of silver to fulfill the law. It was thrown into the treasury. And they bought a field called the Field of Blood. And it's where they would bury people. So this has to do with symbolisms that Jesus knew he had to carry out. So Jesus submitted to a death. A terrible, painful, excruciating death. Well, he submitted to the birth too. Knowing that he was in the form of the divine. And he emptied himself and took on the form of a slave. He did this willingly and brought himself under the authority of Yahweh, of his law. And Jesus did not argue with it. He did not say, I'm not guilty of that. He said, no, you're right. I don't keep your laws. I don't want your kingdom. I want out of this. Right? So, he was handed over to Pilate. Pilate was in Caesarea. Once the verdict that Jesus insisted upon that the Judeans insisted upon that Pilate washed his hands and said, we're not, you know, we don't find anything wrong with you. So then where would they have crucified Jesus? Well, the Bible only gives us one description of where he was crucified. The hill of Golgotha, the hill of the skull. And that is the exact translation of capital hill. Capital, meaning the skull and the hill. So, that's what it was for. I mean, everybody knew what you meant. Capital Hill. The place where they decapitated people. See, because when they went to Rome originally, and they were leveling the ground and dedicating it to Jupiter, and there were other deities, they made this huge temple, the the, the father of the divine beings and, and, and his wives and his kids, there were several deities that were that they had these temples made, built to. And there was a cliff there where they would throw criminals off. It was a place of execution. It wasn't very far from the Colosseum, where it's another place where they would execute people. They would throw into lions or they would have these brutal fights or 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 something gruesome and um, so it was a public event when somebody was executed but they said that when they were excavating this area they found a skull you see I've always read that and I always expected more I keep reading and reading trying to find the rest of the story I mean if you're digging and you find a dead person's skull you might say oh maybe it was a graveyard or something or maybe somebody died here years ago. Big deal. That, in order for it to be called to this day, the Capitolium, like it's some huge, important point that we've got to understand that this is the place of the skull where Jesus Christ himself was killed. There must be a better explanation for this skull. Now, if you look into it, you're not going to find much of an explanation. You'll find a story about this lady, uh, Tarpia. She... When they were first building Rome, she allowed the enemy in or something and she wasn't supposed to. She was a virgin, a Vestal Virgin. She was an important woman. Like, we don't understand this today, but the Vestal Virgins were very, very powerful, like queens. And so she, when they did something like this or they, they betrayed the, the people, they were killed by the most ignominious death you could find, the worst kind of cruel death. And so... Perhaps 
they decapitated her and it was her skull. But we don't know that. But we hear that story. And the only thing we hear about that is that they threw her off the cliff. It was a certain cliff that was right next to this place where they built this temple. And I don't know why that's related, and we don't know if it's related, but we just hear a couple of stories. We hear this story about this woman that was thrown off the cliff. We hear about the story that they dug up a skull. Now, other individuals have said that there was some sort of tradition that the skull was Adam's skull. Well, you probably have remember that I've said that Adam was in America. Remember, Adam lived before the flood, before Atlantis. Adam lived not 900 years, but thousands of years, according to Sumerian tablets and the Babylonian and the Akkadian and, and the Egyptian hieroglyphs. And we've determined that the 900 years is symbolic, like Enoch being 360 years old when he was taken from the earth, which 360 is the number of days in a year. It's the number of degrees in a circle. There's 360 degrees in a circle. So it, it's some kind of code, astrological, astronomical, uh, geogamatria, geomatria, that is a cipher that is so deep that we may never, in this in this side of the kingdom, we may never understand fully all of these symbols. So, if Adam was in America or wherever Atlantis was, and evidently the Atlantic Ocean is the direction that Atlantis existed, and the Prophet Joseph Smith tells us that the United States, North and South America, is the remnant of Atlantis, all that remains of it. So, um, if Adam was there, how would Adam have died in Jerusalem or Rome? Well, remember, Adam lived a long, long time. And we've said before, the Bible tells us that Cain went eastward. From wherever they were, he went eastward. So if they were in the west, Cain went east. That means Cain came to uh, the Middle East or somewhere. I believe he went to a place called Babylon, somewhere in that area. And he built a city called Enoch. But remember also, there was a city called Enoch, which is Enochic land, which is actually in Mexico City. To this day, they call it the ancient city Enoch land. And, and everything about that area, we absolutely know that's where Enoch was, the seventh in line from Adam, and Adam was in this area too. And Joseph Smith tells us that somewhere in, I don't know, Iowa, Missouri, somewhere there, there's an altar, and this is what he calls Adam on the Amon, or the place where Adam dwelt. And there was an altar there, and he, he made note of it, and he spoke of it, and he talked about certain cities that were in that area. But how then, if Adam was over there, could he have died? Well, if Cain went eastward and went to Babylon, then you could imagine that this was thousands and thousands of years. Adam was a divine being. So the only reason Adam ever died is because something happened. There was a fall. They began to have relations with the daughters of men, these mortals, because Enosh became mortal. And there was a time when mortality became a thing. Before that, people hadn't died. But there had to be a restoration. Something happened. They began to eat meat. And they began to make tools and big cities. Now, Cain started right off the bat with his firstborn son making Enoch. The city of Enoch. But Adam's line through Seth, they waited seven generations until Enoch came. And they didn't build a physical city. It doesn't mention anything about smelting gold or, or, or iron for weapons or even agriculture. But what they did is they spent their time preaching about the woes of the world and, and abstaining from this particular place. And they went and prayed and fasted and spent all of their time 
And there was 144,000. They went straight up into heaven. They became a spiritual city, which is the spiritual city that is built upon spiritual stones to build a house in which the divine spirit can inhabit. But if Adam then lived in an immortal type condition in early ages, maybe in thousands and thousands of years ago in Atlantis, they didn't die at that point until something happened and they become demigods and they began to have relations with these other beings. So at some point, Adam followed Cain because, you know, there was they had great technology. They could go all over the world. The fact that Adam died in the old world does not surprise me that he was born in the new world and died in the old. There's lots of symbolisms going on here. However, to continue, all we know is that this temple was the throne of the world. And they indeed have ruled the world, practically, for like a couple of thousand years. And the whole book of Revelation is about this city upon the seven hills, right? The seven mountains. So there's probably something way deeper than we can even imagine right now. Jesus, if he was killed on one of the hills, the smallest of the hills, could be a representation of that king that, you know, was but is not. You know, on the opposite side, we've got this dragon that's got seven heads. And there are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other is yet to come. And the one who is but is not who is also the eight, is one of the seven, is the Antichrist. Now, what would that have to do with Jesus? Well, because there's always counterfeits. There's always oppositions. And so just as there is the beautiful woman that's clothed with the sun, we also have the harlot. We have the seven-headed dragon. But we also have the seven virtues. And we have to transform these seven vices, this dragon, these evil blasphemous names this monster that keeps us in bondage and we've got to overcome the beast and his image and we've got to abstain and and reject the blasphemies coming out of the mouth of the dragon which is fears right and hate we've got to reject that and overcome it and this beast that looks like a lamb but speaks like a dragon See, the two opposites is Jesus and the devil. So if we reject this illusion, this monster with seven heads, then what we do is we accept Christ who has the seven stars or the seven candlesticks in his hand. But all we know then about this is that it's the grand temple of Jupiter. Like, I think it was like one of the seven wonders of the world. It was this huge, one of the greatest temples that ever was. It doesn't exist there anymore. It was burned down like three times. They rebuilt it. But the first time it was built was 700 years BC. And then it was built again just before like something like 100 BC or something. I don't really know. And lasted till 80. And then they built it another time. But today the Vatican and all that's a different thing. But it kind of rebuilt it in Washington. It is that that uh, that house built to Jupiter, remember, is on a hill. And there was not far from that temple of Jupiter, another temple that they built there. And they called that one the temple of Saturn. Now remember, Saturn is Satan. Now, why would Satan have his own hill and Jupiter have a hill? Well, Jupiter being Zeus is the deity that the New Testament says is the divine being. Well, the divine being is the heavenly deity, the God of the day, right? And you know, remember, Santa Claus is, is up there in the North Pole in the winter, right? He's, he's the deity Odin, Yahweh Odin, Yahweh Adonai, uh, also Atun. Well, in, in, in Revelation, he's called Abbe Adon, which is Father Adon. But 
in the sky on the astrological wheel, at the very pinnacle of that wheel, in the middle of summer, the summer solstice, there is understood to be a pinnacle. When the arc of the wheel reaches a pinnacle, that is the mountain of the Lord, the heavenly mount Zion, and it has various names. But at the very bottom of the wheel, where Saturn was born on December 25th, January 1st, the beginning of the of midnight, right, when, when Saturnalius is born, not Jesus, Jesus wasn't born there. Jesus was born in the spring. But the winter solstice, the very bottom of the wheel, is considered the mountain of Yahweh. And that's considered Sinai. Sinai, or Shin, Yah, means moon. So the sun rules over the sky in the summertime, and the moon rules at the night. And that is the law, the reflective righteousness. It's not it's a it's a lamp to your feet, but it's not the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So it is a reflective light, like the moon. It doesn't have its own source of light. It's not righteousness, it's law. So Sinai is at the bottom of the wheel, and that's his mountain. But the Mount Zion is in the north, which refers to the top of the wheel, or summer. Now, we've said Jupiter, being the same as Zeus, is also the same as Osiris. And remember, Osiris and Isis gave birth to Horus. And Horus rises on the horizon and gives us light. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is like the sun that rises in the east and shines all the way into the west, social becoming of the Son of Man be. And also in the book of Psalms, it describes the sun riding across the sky like a chariot being the Lord. So Jesus is the meaning of this parable. The parable of the sun that rises and gives us the, the kingdom of light. And this is why divine being is light, is the sun. Not like in its material sense, but that great power that is in that light is energy, and that literally is truly the divine energy which comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you can say that Jesus then in Greek mythology was also Zeus. And in Egyptian was also Osiris or in Sumerian, was Enlil. So, the temple that was built there was built for Jesus. And the, the skull that they named it after is because that is where Jesus died. And that is his skull. They found a skull there, but that was only a story that they perpetuated because they were trying to tell you something. I mean, just saying, oh, we dug up a skull is not the story. That's supposedly the reason they called it this. But now this turns out to be the capital of the world. And the Bible tells us this is where Jesus died. Well, for the same reason that we have the word decapitation or capital punishment, that means to be beheaded, for this same reason, it's the place where Jesus was taken to die because it's the place of execution. It's the place where the murderers and the criminals and those who betrayed the government, traitors, all these kinds of people were taken to die. And Jesus was taken to this place, the hill of Golgotha. That's an unfortunate translation because we don't call Capitol Hill Golgotha. But that's another language saying the same thing. Today we use, we just use this word Capitol Hill. In ancient times they called it the Capitoline Hill. And in the Bible it says the hill of the skull. The hill of the caput. The skull. And so the reason why Jesus was murdered at a place called the skull is because that's the place where all the murders took place. He was executed under the law and brought to a place of humiliation and punishment for not just 
for all the world that lived in those days to see, but because it was a legendary place, it was destiny. So, isn't it interesting that we can read the Bible and think that there's a place somewhere in Palestine called the place of Golgotha. We've got churches called Calvary Church. You know, we're, we're using these words and we don't even know what they mean. But if we could get a Bible translation that translated these things correctly, and we had some people who wanted to get to the bottom of the Bible and the truth, we would find out that this was all destiny, that all the world, whether it's Rome, Egypt, Babylon, Africa, China, everywhere in the world, they have these traditions, these stories that tell us the purpose and the mystery of life that Jesus came to the world and died for our sins to give us eternal life. It's all right there in everybody's books. You don't find it only in the Bible. But the Bible works hand in hand with the other scriptures that we have from other nations. And everybody knew in the days of Jesus that the place of the skull was in Rome. So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and go, guys. I hope you have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow. May the Lord bless you.